Hey guys, welcome to Ill Nature Podcast. This is Michelle. And I'm Alyssa. We're really excited to be here again today. And Alyssa has a story that is very interesting. And it still um, baffles me to this day. Like, I, I, it doesn't matter how many times I watch documentaries, listen to podcasts, research the story. Like, I still... It just blows my mind. Yeah. I'm excited to hear. Like, I've heard bits and pieces of it, but I'm excited to hear the full thing. Because, I mean, I feel like I already know what happened. Oh, yeah. But, like, we don't... No spoilers. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Also, real quick side note about last week's um, intro. Um, don't judge me. I know I can't <laughs> sing. Um, and it was probably a little weird. But you know what? I'm taking risks. So, um, we're trying to stand out. That's so, right. don't hate me. Because I'm beautiful. Thank you. It, it was wonderful, <laughs> by the way. One of my favorite performances of all time. So. I have to get voice, um, voice lessons, lessons the next yeah. time I sing on the podcast mm-hmm. for all you beautiful people. <laughs> um, so today we are going to be talking about the Susan Powell case. And um, like I said, I the first thing I ever heard about Susan Powell was on the podcast Cold. Um, and this whole season of Cold is dedicated to Susan Powell. Oh. So it goes into super, super detail. Cool. We'll just brush over most of the things. Um, but a lot of stuff about like Josh and Josh's dad, like his whole family. There's a whole bunch of information in that podcast. So uh, if you want to lo- know a little bit more about that, just go listen to Cold. I can't remember the guy who hosts it, but yeah, um, we can link it somewhere. We'll yeah. put it on social media or show Something. notes, or we'll put it somewhere. But um, very very intriguing podcast. So. Susan Cox was born on October 16th, 1981 in uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico. Um, so sorry if I butchered that because I probably did. It sounded pretty good. Um, to Charles and Judy Cox. Charles will probably be um, referred to as Chuck from here on out. Just um, heads up. Mm-hmm. The couple had four daughters and Susan was their third. Um, her family moved and settled in Puyallup, Washington when Susan was a child. Okay, Alyssa here. I was editing the podcast and just realized I said 2011, um, and I meant 2001, so let's get back to the story. In 2011, Susan met Josh at a small house gathering at Josh's party for one of the religious classes they attended for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, um, also known as LDS Church, or Mormons. Susan, oh. Yeah. <clears throat> I forgot I to mention that. that. Why do they have so many names? I don't know. But it is the Mormon church. That's interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the Book of Mormon. And the church is considered Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ, I think. Or Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Anyways. Right. Um, <laughs> Susan was 19 years old when they met. Um, and Josh and Susan talked over doing dishes that night. Oh. Um, yeah. So Romantical. I, right. So I thought, um, I put a sign on here, like, Josh asked for his guests to help him do the dishes um weird that's what i thought too like all right guys you're not getting locked the door you're not getting out you of ain't here. leaving until these dishes are until done son cleaned up. It's weird. so but they shared their first kiss that night and susan would later write in one of her journals saying that uh when they kissed she knew josh was the one okay. also another quick side note there's a lot of journaling and like 
documentation of this entire, like, of her entire life, Josh's entire life. He journals too. Yes. They journal. That and okay. he and Josh even like will voice record. Oh. And Steve is his dad, Josh's dad, Steve, does the exact same thing. He journals, he records himself, like they're just very big documenters, I guess you could say. Yeah. But for but for why? Like, cause they know some something's gonna do, go down eventually. And I don't gonna, like just weird guys, yeah. like weird people. Like they're yeah. just weird. Different. Odd. I'm not saying that recording stuff is weird, but no. it's like the way they go about it. I mean, it's just you'll know, you'll know. Yeah. So we're gonna throw it back some and tell you a little bit about Josh. Mm-hmm. And Josh was born on January twentieth, nineteen seventy six. Excuse me. His parents were Stephen and Terica Powell in Puyallup, Washington. Uh, Steve and Terry's marriage was extremely toxic, and even though Steve hated the um, LDS church, he did baptize Josh in at the age of eight, which I thought was weird. Um, Josh was super smart, too, but struggled with school because of the structure and discipline of it. And when Josh was in fifth grade, Terry found Steve's secret journal where he wrote for two years explaining and fantasizing about another man's wife. So strange. Right. And that's the problem with journals. I mean, if you're being a creeper, just I don't know. Don't don't write it down. Maybe you got off on it. He, Somebody's gonna find it eventually. Oh yeah. Well, you'll know about all of his um mm-hmm. freaky deaky stuff because it doesn't stop here. Okay. Um, describing explicit sexual things that he wanted to do to the man's wife, and when he was confronted about it, Steve said if her husband were to die, he would take her in as a sister wife and raise her children. Um, no, thank you. Terry was pregnant with their last child, Alina, at the time. They had five kids in total together. He showed no remorse for this and only seemed to change when she threatened to leave him. So he was trying to manipulate her, um, you know, as the narcissism men do. So uh, Steve would tell his children in secret some very disturbing things, such as people should have sex with who they want whenever they want. And kept porn mags in the house, which I thought was very... um, And not just like in the house. Like I think they were like laid out on the coffee table. Like these weren't just like under his bed. Odd. Then you have boys. Like what kind Three of boys, boys is he raising up to send out into the world? Uh, Not very good ones. Flashing into my brain. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like you don't tell your children, especially it. You don't ever you tell your. Take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't tell your children that, or anyone for that matter. But then, like, to suggest rape to them if a woman is right. not interested. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> he. This is another thing that like creeps me out it gives me the willies and i don't appreciate it uh-huh. but steve was even attracted to his oldest daughter jennifer Rose. Rose. he wrote about this in his journals saying that when jennifer would come down in the morning in a t-shirt and underwear it would quote drive him nuts end quote Stop. this is his daughter that he created with- oh gosh and i can't so remember rough. I can't remember the exact age she was, um, but it tells you in the cold podcast. This is where this is one of my um, main sources for this entire case was cold um, because he gave so much detail. So, yeah, that was one thing I had to put in here because that was just just shows you the type of man he was. That's right. Yeah. Ew. Seriously. Um, 
And when Jennifer was 14, he told her that the Book of Mormon was fake. And Terry was so upset, she moved out for a little while. Oh. Um, and that is when she noticed he was making bad choices and treating them bad. But I'm assuming she would later move back in. Right. But Steve would mock Josh for being in the Boy Scouts because the church sponsored them. And so he later quit because... Josh or Steve made him feel shameful he would, he about would it. Mock his son. Okay. Yeah, another. That's another indicator of who he is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Josh threatened his mom with a butcher knife after this happened, and killed his sister's gerbils before he made her touch their blood. What serial killer alert? Yeah. So many red flags. D- yeah. Yeah. All the red flags. Um, How many gerbils? Oh, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> I don't know. Because they're so tiny and cute. Terry would also oh. say that Josh and John, the middle brother, were caught examining Alina. The their youngest, sister. The, the youngest, youngest sister. Oh, no. um, and this has to be around the age of... 12 or 12 to 14 I think it was when how old Josh was which means Alina was very young that's wow another red flag people they're just coming back to back and he attempted to kill himself by um, trying to hang him himself at, at the age of 14 Steve was also physically abusive to his family um, one time it was documented that Jennifer was smacked across the face for getting upset when Steve ripped her, um, project out of the sewing machine for John. You hit her in the face? Yeah. Because she got upset that she's been working on, like, a dress or something like that for so long. And he comes and rips it out, destroys it so her brother could use the sewing machine. Even though she was in the middle of using it. Right. So, it sounds like, you know, men take precedence, too. That's the thing. That's the whole um, Mm -hmm. pattern in this family is, like, he expects the men and the boys to be over the women. And they basically bow down to him and do whatever he asks. Uh, Yeah. I'm telling you, like... (laughs) Crazy. Spoiler, they divorce, but not... Freaking soon, soon enough. Up, yeah. Right? So, Josh meets a girl named Sarah in 1992. And there's not much about her or kind of how they stopped talking. Um, they did hang out very often. And he did want to start a relationship with her. But she was not interested. And saw him more as a little brother because she was older. I do believe she was probably like 18 years old. And this yeah. is about the time. Mm, maybe he was 16. Right. If that. She would go, um, Josh would try to pressure her into dating and he would later kiss her. I think she just brushed it off, um, and they went their separate ways. Like he went to, uh, you know, he stayed in school and she went to college. I think she tried to, or he tried to keep in touch with her, but it kind of just fell off. Josh was also fired from his first job at a neighborhood car wash when money would come up missing. And this is the beginning to the end of Josh's um, on-again, off-again work status. Right. 
Steve and Terry would finally divorce in 1994, and Josh would later blame the church for the divorce. Oh. Yeah. Because Steve's basically brainwashing them the whole time. Right. That's, yeah. So, Josh and John moved in with Steve, and during divorce court, Steve and the boys tried to win Michael over, so it would be like the guys versus the girls. Okay. Um, it would later come out in court that Josh and John, along with Steve, physically hit Terry, and during the divorce, Josh would take a different look towards women. Um, he would become more dominant and more like Steve, which is not a good thing. <laughs> Like, I think this is um, the type of father you do not want to be or repu- replicate, you know. Right. Don't don't procreate with this type of man. Please don't. We don't need. We don't need any like more that. Steve Powell's or any more Josh Powell's no, just in the world. Uh-uh. We need. Oh. Sick. Seriously. While in college, Josh wanted to become an architect at first. He mo- he would move out and go to the University of Washington. Um, within the first few weeks of living in the dorms, his roommates would bully him, and he would later claim he was sexually harassed. Um, I guess just because they probably called him gay and, like, I guess tormented him because oh, sure, he was kind of different. He was different. Yeah. Like, well, he... Sh- like, what? Sexually harassed? Yeah, I don't think it was like I don't think they. Well, that's right. Came after him, right? Like, but like maybe physically pulled the, pulled the shower curtain open when he was in the shower. Yeah, things like him. that. Things like that. Yeah. Okay. Um. So he would transfer rooms a few weeks later. He did believe he was depressed and that his dad Steve hated him, which I thought was weird. But I mean, not really because Steve was really hateful to him, and right. I mean throwback to when he bullied him basically about the boy scouts and made him right. quit in shame um so i guess it's not that far-fetched that he thought his dad hated him right in 1997 he switched majors to drama but after getting a minuscule part in a play he quit and his self-esteem would continue to lower he thinks he should have the best he does not like being rejected yeah. at all like he cannot deal with rejection mm-hmm Um, Josh would go back home to try and patch his relationship up with his mom that fall after spending a toxic summer with Steve. They did think things were finally looking up for Josh. He did forgive Terry for the divorce and started attending church again. This is when Josh transferred to Eastern Washington University in 1998 and met his I do believe this was his first serious relationship um, with Catherine Terry, who was 19. She was also a member of the LDS church, and they went to a church function where singles of the church met, um, and that's where they saw each other and met for the first time. Mm-hmm. He was hesitant to get into a relationship at first, but they would eventually start dating. Um, they broke up, then got back together, so it was kind of like this... Back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, she was 19. He was 22 at the time. Josh would ask Catherine to move in with him. And despite her uncle saying, stay away from him. Creepy vibes. Uh-huh. Um, she got, mo- we gotta listen. We gotta listen. She moved in with him anyways. Uh-huh. The couple spent that summer of 1998 living with Steve. Josh also would move out of Steve's, then move back. Move out, move back. Move yeah. out, move back. Like, he can't be... Independent from his father is what it seems like. Yeah. 
Josh would spend his and Catherine's money buying whatever he wanted that summer before they eventually went broke. Um, she did note that Josh and Steve seemed to butt heads a lot and argued a lot, but her first initial impression of Steve was that he was nice and was like a father figure. Yeah. Um, steer clear, sis. Okay. Run. Go. Very fast in the other direction. Well, okay. Go, go, go. <laughs> I've already heard a little part of this, so I'm, my brain's trying to skip ahead. Yeah, we did um, try and record this episode last week, yes, and we then did. we just had a lot of interruptions, so we decided to restart. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Um, so, they moved into a Seattle apartment and both enrolled back in school. Josh convinced Catherine to get out a student loan and stole the money this part oh like how i I still i do not understand how he was able to i don't either because i mean it was a check right it had to have been right what else would it be and then with her name on it yeah and she didn't know he stole it they might have had a joint account together Uh i can't that would be the only way i can't really i mean they the sources don't say much about how he was able to do it. Yeah. But Catherine never did see that check. He signed the back of it, deposited it into the account, used the money, and she continues to pay on this loan 20-something years later. <laughs> wow. So it's probably a decent amount of money. I mean, a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, this guy's a I would be pissed. Oh, yeah. I would have been like, the door. Goodbye. You know? Oh, my gosh. I'd be so mad. Yeah. Just because he wants to live it up. Yeah, and not have any responsibilities. Mm -hmm. He continued this pattern with her paychecks from occasionally helping Josh at his job with Steve. So she would chip in sometimes, try to make some extra money um, and work for Steve with Josh. But Josh would just steal her paychecks. They continued going to church, though, and joined a family congregation where Josh told her not to tell anyone that they weren't married. Um, and Catherine recalls wearing a band on her finger despite being told that Josh never wanted to get married or have children. Which I, I thought was, like... The, the lies. Like, are you just trying to live a life, but, like, not really live the life? Right. I'm well, confused. he wants to do whatever he wants to do. And... I, uh, 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 just red flag. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Catherine was obviously uncomfortable with it, but went along because Josh was extremely controlling. Um, he didn't want her to make any friends. She was only allowed to speak with him and his family. Uh, he never allowed her to use the family computer. And I say family, but like his computer, um, without his presence. And he would read her journal and basically keep her as a prisoner. One time she went and got fake nails because she... Wanted to make herself feel better. You know, pamper herself. Um, Josh told her that they were stupid and ugly. And she ripped off the fake nails one by one. And it caused an infection in one of her fingers. Yeah. So he had a hold on her. Oh, yeah. Like. And you'll see it even gets worse when we get into his relationship with Susan. Mm. But this is just a little backstory, so you kind of understand, like, this wasn't just a one-time thing. That's right. This guy, it is deeply ingrained in his being that, yeah, he's number one. And if he's not, he pitches a fit. Exactly. uh He's a child. Um, She was even kept from going to her uncle's funeral back in Spokane, Washington, I think, because he hated him for trying to keep them apart. 
So, yeah, he just hated because you know, remember how her uncle told her like, "Don't That's move right. in with this freak," and she did anyways. And he said, "Oh, well, that was the last time you'll ever see him." He died. She couldn't even go to the funeral. That is so. This guy is sick. Well, in March of 1999, she finally returned home without Josh. This was a planned trip, and I do think he was supposed to go with her. But due to his school schedule, he couldn't. So when she finally got back home, she realized how much control he had over her, and she didn't like it. So this is when she realized she did not want to be with him anymore, and she did not return to um, Josh in the apartment. Thankfully, she got away. I almost said something, but I can't. Because she yeah. don't know the end of it. We literally got through That's this right. part and started right. on, like, Susan Powell's, like, the day yep. of her disappearance, and yep. that was it. Yep. Um, the suspense has been really intense. For a whole week. <laughs> um, so, she broke up with him over the phone. They did, her and her new boyfriend did go back, I think maybe in December November, sometime in the later end of the year, they went back together to go get all of her things from a storage building. Mm -hmm. They told Josh that they were engaged, though, because she thought it would help him leave her alone, I guess. Like, there's no no more chance. Like, this is over with. Like, I'm engaged now. Yep. They did eventually get married, though, by the way. Catherine and her new boyfriend. And they lived happily ever after. Yes, they're all fine now. That's right. Um, Josh, though, claimed that her boyfriend seemed possessive, which I thought was funny considering he was the possessive one. Oh, this guy is. Hey, boo. Uh, Josh thought his relationship failed because he had a weak faith in the church, so he found his way back to the church again. Mm-hmm. Had a quick little crush on sisters, but he creeped them out by mm-hmm. constantly showing up at their house and work and sending emails confessing his feelings. Girls, don't, don't, don't surprise show up at a girl's house i just don't ever think that's a good idea no unless you're like you know dating but nobody likes that if somebody shows up at my house i'm like like if well (laughs) nobody wants to have to answer their door you know number one but that is so creepy if i'm just randomly talking to somebody like once or twice like i don't think this is like he didn't know them know them like that either i think he had met them, was trying to talk to one of the older ones, and she was like, no, dude. So, he went after the younger sister, and I don't know how young. Like, I think they were still both, like, right. over 18, right. as far as I can remember. But, yeah. I think we should keep a red flag count here. It's probably, probably, like, it. 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just wanted to, I mean, it really, do people really do stuff like that? I just, ooh. If you show up at my house, I'm not going to say what's going to happen, but you know what's going to happen. Okay. Do not show up at my house, okay? Number one, you'll be staying out there for a while, because I'm not coming to the door for any, well, unless it's UPS, you know, if a delivery, right? But they can still know. drop my stuff on the door, and I'll get it when they leave. Yeah. Depends on the driver. I mean, you know. <laughs> the UPS, the UPS drivers, and you all know this, they're awesome. Like, you know. Better than FedEx. Please don't get me started. All right, back to back to the back to the the case. Um, Josh moved out of his apartment and went back to Puyallup to live with Steve. Bad idea. Even though they argued more and more about his religion, after about six months, he moved into an apartment in Tacoma. And in the fall of two thousand is when Susan and Josh get together. So now we're finally caught back up. So how old is he? Roundabout at this point. 
Is he still in his twenties? Like late twenties? Yeah, he's in his twenties. Um, twenty three, twenty four. Okay. Okay. I can't really remember, but somewhere around that age. Okay. Susan's nineteen though. Okay. Uh huh. Okay, so they would get married in April of two thousand and one. This was maybe seven or eight months after they met. They had a very short like dating and engagement. Mm-hmm. They were not they didn't even know each other for a year. And in one video I watched from the ABC twenty twenty documentary, Susan was so incredibly happy. She looked beautiful. She was waltzing around in her dress and just so excited for their new life together. Josh, on the other hand, was very standoffish, only socialized with his family, and even towards the end of the reception began to ignore Susan. What? But it is said that at the beginning of their relationship that they both seemed happy and they were so in love. Susan's sister would even say they seemed like the perfect couple. Josh started skipping from employed to unemployed frequently, and Susan ended up having to ditch her career in cosmetology to work as a broker at Wells Fargo to make more money. To support her man. Yeah. So, the second woman that's had to support Josh. Yeah, because he can do whatever he wants. The couple lived with Steve for a while, and this is when it gets kind of creepy, creepy. Mm -hmm. Um, the couple had to sleep in the living room and had hanging sheets to section off their area to make it private. During this time, Stephen became obsessed with Susan. Mm -hmm. He would follow her around the house with a camcorder, steal her underwear from the laundry, Mm -mm. look under the bathroom door when she was in there, and would write, yes, and would write explicit fantasies about her and his journal. He offered to give her a massage one time and rubbed her legs, arms, and shoulders. And later that night in the hotel room, he started recording himself to, like, relive the moment. So creaky. Yeah. What? (sighs) Yeah. In 2003, though, the couple moved out of Steve's home. And, um... I can't remember exactly what they were doing, but Steve was driving Susan to her parents' house. I don't know if Josh had to go somewhere. Like, I don't know why Steve is driving her, but he was trying to drive her to her parents' house. And on this drive, he, I don't know if she's recording or he's recording, but like, you can't see anything. You can just hear what's going on, like hear the interaction. Um, He starts telling her how much he's in love with her and that the last year and a half is the she was the only thing that he could think about. And you could clearly tell that Susan was uncomfortable and tried to change the subject. (laughs) Uh, She was 21 at the time and Steve was 53. Uh, And and he's got her waited till he had her trapped inside a car. So she wouldn't be able to leave. Yeah. Mm. And it's his son's wife. So he's like hitting on his daughter-in-law. Um, Susan did tell Josh, and they did keep their distance for a while, but by 2003, uh, that September, Stephen would write, Stephen, Steve, whatever, (laughs) would write in his journal that Josh had pretty much brushed the incident off. Um, He says, quote, it did not take much for me to convince Josh that she instigated my feelings for her by her little enticements, end quote. Yeah, same as his daughter. Ugh. Yeah. Susan's just living her life. Yeah, if you walk by him, that's enticing him. Right. It's just got still living. 
Uh, no, no spoilers. Okay, no spoilers. No spoilers. All right, go. <laughs> You'll find out. Um, but the couple did move to West Valley City, Utah in 2004. So they're at least um, in a different state now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm surprised. I guess, Josh, though, that was kind of... Um... I think Susan was like, I'm, I'm, we've got to go. Like, I cannot live right. in your father's home or near it. Like, he freaks me out. Yeah. Mm. So, the couple went on to have two boys. Charlie was born in 2005, and mm-hmm. Brayden was in 2007. Um, very cute little boys. Mm-hmm. We will post pictures on the Instagram, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. With Charlie, Josh refused to drive her to the hospital, though, when she was in labor because he was busy. Um, come to find out, he was just backing up his hard drive. So, her parents had to take her to the doctor. Or, she had to drive herself. I can't remember. That is disgusting. Like, you can't just... Take a moment. He put that baby in her. You drive your woman to the hospital. Like, what? Oh, He showed up a couple hours later. Uh-uh. Yeah. Within a few years of the marriage, though, things started to turn sour. Josh quit attending church and still struggled to keep a job. He would spend all of their money on stupid things for himself, like tools or computer softwares or computers in general, just things that he wanted. Yeah. Um, and Susan never got anything for herself. He took control of all the finances and would get angry if he thought Susan spent too much money on necessities like food. Um, I mean, he would make the boys share a hot dog. Oh. Like, that's how cheap he was. Right. And she had to knit their own, like, her own socks. Aww. But like, she's working. Yeah, this she's working. Money. Yeah. She is working mm-hmm. and having to knit her own socks because her husband can't get off his lazy ass right. and go to work. Mm-hmm. So, and keep in mind, this is like 2007, 2000, you know, like the recession. Mm-hmm. So, like, he needs to be working. Right. Anyways. What a loser. <laughs> the biggest loser ever. You're a loser, sir. Mm. If you can hear me. I don't know. Okay, go. No more. No I'm not like, even. I'm so excited to find out what happens. You're not going to be excited to find out. Because uh, it's not a good end. Uh, I'm not. T- I'm, anyway. Okay. Anyways. 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 Um, Susan thought having children would help their marriage. Um, and that is a very sad and big misconception. Why? Because I know people like I even had... And I'm not going to say names because, and this person's probably not going to listen to the podcast, but some people who know this person are. Um, But somebody in my family, like, had a horrible relationship Mm -hmm. and, like, adopted some children Mm -hmm. thinking that it was going to help their relationship. Children just bring more stress and anxiety and can already put a strain on a good relationship, but one that's already not great. Mm-mm. Don't do it. Please do not do, do not it. That is just going to screw up your children. The babies. Yeah. Yeah. The Powells would later declare bankruptcy in 2007, and the following year was reportedly the worst marriage, um, the worst year of the marriage they had had. Susan had a counselor and asked Josh to go with her many times, but he denied. And once the counselor observed she was being abused, Chuck. Susan's father agreed. Like, hey, obviously, um, 
Get out when you can, right. but she did not. And take your babies. Take the babies. Um, June of 2008, Susan writes a letter addressing her family and friends, mm-hmm. um, warning them of Josh. In that letter, she says that Josh threatened to destroy her if she filed for divorce. She then said that if she dies, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Uh-huh. Yeah, like you're that scared that something's going to happen. You write. Like, writes yeah. on this piece of paper, what? gets a safe deposit box that she only has access to. Josh knows nothing about it and slips it in there. Mm-hmm. And then a month later, she was told, I think by her lawyer, um, to record herself and document all of their assets. So, that's what she does. Saying, again, that if something were to happen to her, she wanted all of her bases covered. Even though she hoped everything would be fine and they would all be happy. A friend once said that when visiting the couple's home that Josh was watching news stories of murders or, like, ID documentaries and things like that on the TV. And had made the comment that he would be able to get away with murder. All he had to do was make sure the police couldn't find the body. Suggesting that he would stick them in, um, you know, go out in the desert. Because in Utah, there's, like... Desert? Yeah, all over the place. Mm -hmm. Or just stick the body in a mine because it was so unstable that they wouldn't go in a mine to look for the body. So keep that in mind. Oh yeah. Um comments like this occurred frequently. Um so Susan was left scared for her life and she even told a coworker once that if something were to happen to her to make sure that Josh was investigated. Mm. So this is all in two thousand and eight, one year before her disappearance. Josh had also bought a $1 million life insurance policy for Susan, and she said she knew it made no sense unless he anticipated something to happen to her. In this policy, it basically gave Josh control over everything if Susan were to die, and a friend told her that she was worth more dead than alive to Josh. Um, And she was like, why? Why would you do that? Like, Yeah, not normal. All he's going to do is kill you and get this one million dollar life insurance policy i mean he's already broke and y'all are struggling you're you filed for bankruptcy last year and i guess she just couldn't accept that he could really do something to her but even my thing is well that's what i'm saying like if me and mckay were ever struggling even if i didn't think he was gonna like hack me up into a million pieces like and we were struggling with money i would never get a life insurance policy because that's just more money you spend a month Right, exactly. So this guy is actively planning for her death. Basically, like, like he's okay yeah. to sp- like they can't spend money on socks. Right, but he's like, let's go get this life insurance policy, and that's got to be expensive. I'm trying to think of what I pay, um, <laughs> and for a million, yeah, it's got to be fifty bucks. I mean, at least a month. Probably more back in that time, I would think. Yeah. Wouldn't you? I don't know. Ew. Nuts. Um, a co-worker offered to help her leave Josh, but Susan was so scared that he would find her and the boys no matter what, so she never did. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan wrote in a September 20th, 2008 Facebook message to her brother-in-law that Quote, money is control, and I'm his asset to be controlled and abused, and I'm not going to allow it any longer, end quote. Mm. So she started to see it, started to get real fed up, but I think she was still scared. 
Susan had a horrible birthday that year. She was born in October. So this is a month after this Facebook post or message. Um, Josh got her an unfrosted birthday cake, but she still had hopes of becoming pregnant again and having a little girl. Yes. I know. My heart. I know how this ends and my heart aches for her. Um, Jennifer never understood why Josh was so controlling of her, saying Susan was such an amazing woman, and they could have gone far if Josh would have just been okay with her being independent. Um, she believed Josh was her forever partner, though. Susan did, of course. And even though her parents were more than willing to pay for a divorce attorney, she still never took them up on the offer. Over the course of 2009, Josh continued to show little regard for Susan. Um, I They were, you know... He was never physically wanting to be with her. He wasn't mentally there with her. Like, he was just checked out of this relationship in every aspect. Josh continued to control every bit of her life. She was never allowed to use the family car. um, That just pisses me off. Oh, you're telling me just wait. Leaving Susan to depend on Josh to get her from work, which he failed to do multiple times. Because he's a loser who never... She had to bike to work. Seven miles one way. What? I wouldn't even walk to work, and you know how close I am to work. I'm not even, like, a quarter of a mile. And she's a broker, so she's probably wearing, like, suits. I mean, you know, nice clothes. And she's... In Utah, where, I mean, in the winter, it can be freezing. freezing, You know, anyways. He just sucks. He would forget to get the boys from daycare often as well. And that's when Debbie Caldwell, the daycare provider, would, you know, at the end of the day, he'd be Brayden and Charlie... She'd load the boys up. She would go get Susan from her job, take them home. And that was just like a regular occurrence. What? Like her. Do you think he forgot or he was just like. He just didn't somebody, care. The women are going to, the women will get them home. Yeah. Like, he doesn't care. Care. Yeah. Um, in an email in September, she wished Josh would just cheat on her. So it would be easier for her to well, leave. He probably is. Well, <laughs> No, I don't think so. Well, he he's a real loser, so he probably couldn't find anybody. To no, with. I don't think it's that. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She finally started to do a little bit more for herself, though. She would organize girls' nights and make boy the Josh watch the boys while she went out. She would buy herself Mary Kay products for herself, and she eventually did freeze the credit card so Josh would collect quit collecting more debt. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan continued to try hard and hard and hard to make their relationship work though she wanted to do date nights with josh but he hardly ever wanted to do anything that she wanted to and never wanted to spend the money he didn't want to pay babysitters go out and pay that is horrible for the food you know they just didn't do anything together Josh would spend hours and hours on the phone with his father and brothers and susan noticed how he started to act afterwards and hated that. Um, And he would treat her horribly after these conversations ended. His behavior would change for the worse. Um, And Josh would say negative things about Susan and the church, kind of like Steve did, just talk bad about 
mm-hmm. the church. Steve encouraged these comments, and Susan once walked in on Josh telling the boys that Susan was evil for making them go to church and they didn't have to go. Steve was on the phone. Susan was obviously pissed off Yay. and took the kids for a drive for an hour to calm down. She admitted, though, that leaving for that short amount of time scared her because of what Josh would do in retaliation. So she couldn't even leave the house for an hour without feeling like there was going to be some huge fight or something afterwards. She would later say that um, they did try and do counseling. He agreed to do it as long as he was free. But after a few sessions, their counselor said to take a month off because they were getting nowhere. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I know, right? Yep. Susan told a friend in November of 2009, if Joshua wasn't back in church and acting like he wanted to be in their relationship by their anniversary, April of 2010, mm-hmm. she would continue on with the divorce. Josh never intended to change, though, and she would never get the chance to file for divorce. Uh. I have chills, and I'm still not even into December yet. In November, though, she thought she was pregnant because she was nauseous all the time. She said she felt milk let down and ligament stretching, which was good indicators that she was pregnant, but she also had menstrual bleeding at the time. A few days later, she went to a clinic, got a negative pregnancy test, and the doctor suggested to get another blood test to check for other things than pregnancy. Um, Because her body was off, but Susan never did. But something, like I said, was obviously going on. That same November, while all of this was happening with Susan, Josh was doing some strange things on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, He bought a tree wrap from the hardware store. And then the day before Thanksgiving, he would buy a torch, ropes, and two gas tanks from Air Gas. But he couldn't get it fixed. So that night, he went to Lowe's to try and get help. I still don't think they were able to fix it, too. Later on, though, both of those employees that helped Josh at both companies said that the encounters were extremely strange. But by the start of December, he did have a working torch that could cut through a half an inch of steel and was able to load in the back of his vehicle and take it anywhere. Did did he tell anybody, like... What he was doing with them? Well, I would think, so you come to a store, I don't know, maybe it's just me because I talk a lot, but I would be like, so, what what you doing with the torch? Like, you know... Got a new hobby? I I don't know. What do you use torches for? I don't know. He had a lot of tools, though. And that's what the police will find later on when they investigate. Because he just had all these tools and stuff in the garage. But didn't really do anything. Do anything, yeah. Very strange. Yeah, torch is definitely an odd purchase unless you're planning on... Unless you need it for, like, an actual job. Right. Or, you know, whatever. You don't just go out and buy a torch. No. Just to have. And rope. Anyways, okay. so now we are entering into December of 2009. 2009. December 6th, Susan got up that morning, got her and the kids ready for church, and by that afternoon, um, a neighbor had come over to visit. Mm-hmm. Josh was in the kitchen with the boys making pancakes, um, which is strange because if you remember, Josh doesn't do anything for himself. Right. Um, yeah. Susan had to do all the cleaning, all the cooking, everything. So, it was very odd, and even the neighbor noticed it. The last phone call that she made or received was at 2.29 p.m. This friend that was at the house left around 5, though, because Susan said she wasn't feeling well and wanted to go lay down and take a nap. 
Um, her friend didn't think anything about it because Susan had told her she thought she had a miscarried a week prior. So, the neighbor wasn't thinking, you know, right. anything bad. Right. Um, and she was actually still, like, Susan had gotten up off the couch and went to lay in bed or something like that. And the neighbor was all over there helping her, like, get a knot out of some yarn or something. Mm-hmm. And Josh, like, rushed her off. Mm. Like, he pushed her out of the door. Mm. <laughs> this was the last time anyone mm-hmm. outside of the Powell home saw Susan so alive. So, he cooked. Okay. He cooked like pancakes. Susan, Served them to Susan, Susan on the couch. Didn't feel well, not major, not well, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. When he finally got the neighbor out of the house, he put the boys in the van, the the family car, mm-hmm. and said he was taking them sledding. He like like skirt yeah skirt skirt like right out of that driveway like real freaking fast like the lady wasn't even in her car had it cranked while he was like going out of the driveway which and i'm sure he doesn't take the kids places very often i would think i mean he can't even pick them up from daycare so right exactly okay um there was a winter storm that was headed that way in the morning um early that morning so keep that in mind that was a side note okay a neighbor in a storm. Okay, yeah, like right before the storm happens, he's taking his two right. young sons sledding. Mm-hmm. Um, a neighbor reports seeing Josh and the boys return home at about eight thirty that night. Mm-hmm. So three, three and a half hours after they left. Yep. And the next thing that ever was reported about the home was almost midnight when a car alarm inside the garage was going off. The neighbor said that all the lights in the home appeared to be off though. Hmm. So Skip on to Monday 7th, the next morning. Mm -hmm. This was a Monday. Everything was covered in snow after this winter storm happened. Um, That morning is when the entire Powell family was reported missing. Mm -hmm. Susan didn't show up at work, which was not normal for her. Right, since she's the breadwinner. Exactly, and the boys Mm -hmm. weren't at daycare. Mm -hmm. So, I think that was the first indicator was Debbie said, like, it's like clockwork. Like, the boys would come in at, like, 7 or 7.30, you know, right. whatever time. Yeah. She always expected them. Right. I mean, it was... One of those things Susan probably would have called. You know? Right. And so, she, when she realized they weren't there, she's like, this is strange. Yep. So, she called the emergency contact, which was Jennifer, Josh's sister. And um, Jennifer called her mother. They both attempted to get in touch with Josh and Susan, but couldn't get an answer. So they loaded up and drove to Utah to the home while calling the police. Mm-hmm. This is around 9 or 10 a.m. Everyone noted that there were no foot or vehicle tracks in the fresh snow outside the home. Mm-hmm. So that indicates that. I can't remember exactly. Maybe 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. is when the storm hit. Uh-huh. And so, there was no tracks or anything. Yep. So, car alarm went off during the night. Like, and then there's no footprints, no tracks, nothing. Yep. Um, The police did break into the home because all of the doors and windows were locked. The windows were covered up, but they wanted to make sure that the family wasn't victims of carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh. Yeah. That was their first thought was yep. carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. Um, upon entering the home, they saw freshly cleaned carpet and a couch. And I'll post pictures of this. I'll show you. I'll have them pulled yeah, up right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see. Um, 
Um, so they saw freshly cleaned carpet and a couch where two box fans were pointing in the direction to dry a wet spot. Mm-hmm. So um, here is picture number one of the box fan. Very of sus. the home. Very sus. And picture number two. So it looks like they had like maybe a sectional or something, and he yep. had two box fans pointing towards the it looks couch. Really tidy. Yeah. Mm. So they also found Susan's purse, which had her wallet, her ID, and all of these other things that she would have taken with her if right. she would have left the house, the house. Right. willingly. Right. Um, but the house was completely empty, mm-hmm. and the family's van was gone. They also noted there was no sign of a struggle or physical altercation in the home. Right. Like, the house looks very, very clean. Exactly. Mm. The police called um, Detective Ellis Maxwell to come out because it was getting obvious that this was no accidental disappearance. Like, I wonder if Jennifer or... I mean, I don't... I can't remember if they were thinking, like, weird things were going on. Yeah. Before this happened or not. Yeah. Um, but if they did, I was wondering if they were like, um, maybe we should call in somebody with a little bit more experience. That's right. Like, what has he finally done? Exactly. They know him. You know? Exactly. Yeah. One of the neighbors finally got in touch with Josh. This was around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I think the neighbor tried to call Josh and mm-hmm. he did not answer. And then the neighbor's son tried to call Josh and he picked up. Hmm. Weird. 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 Yeah. Weird. yeah. That friend told Josh he needed to get home now because Susan was missing. He said that he was south and would be there shortly. Okay. Now, this is where it gets weird. And mm, y'all are about to see, like, <laughs> this is already, like, guilty yeah. to me, in my opinion. Like, if this happened, there would be no doubt in my mind that this person knew exactly what happened or uh-huh. had some inkling right. of knowledge. Let me just say, I, I really hope you didn't get that insurance money. Do we know? I do think we know. Uh-huh. I'll let you know. Yeah. I can't, if we don't, I'll Google it and let yeah. you know. Jennifer finally spoke with Josh at 5.30 that day. 5.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. P.m. Okay. Okay, this person got in touch with Josh, this friend, at 3 p.m. So, this is two and a half hours later. Right. And he's still not back, unless that means. Exactly. Yeah. She was like, where are you at? What What are you doing? Right. You know Susan's missing. Why are you not home? Right. Where are the boys? Mm-hmm. What's been going on? Mm-mm-mm. He lied and said that she was at work and Jennifer caught him in this lie. Um, don't you think we checked work, you idiot? Exactly. Um, she continued to challenge him and, um, said that, you know, we obviously know Susan is, is not at work. We know that, you know, Susan is not at work. So where is she at? Josh says that he doesn't know. Um, and then in that moment asked where, or asked Jennifer what she knew. Mm -mm. And Jennifer's his sister, right? Exactly. Jennifer admits later that she had a horrible feeling Josh had done something to, had something to do with Susan's disappearance. When he said, what do you know? Yeah. She said, red flag, red flag, red freaking flag. Yep. 
She said it was very disturbing talking to her brother that day. She said she backed off because of the boys, Brayden and Charlie, and she told him he needed to get home now because cops were everywhere. Jennifer arrived at the home expecting Josh and the boys to show up any minute, but that never happened, or didn't happen in this moment. Right, right. Detective Maxwell called Josh. So this is like the third phone call that he's received. Yep. Um, and asked where he was, telling him that he needed to get home now that his wife was missing for the third time. Right. Josh's response was he needed to get the kids food mm-hmm. and then started ignoring Maxwell when he was, at, he was like turning around and saying, Hey boys, what do you want to eat? You want like pizza? You like, he was just ignoring that he's on the phone. Yeah. And like, and not concerned at all. Like talk about a red flag. Okay. Talk about another red flag because he made them share hot dogs. Well, right. So now you're taking them you're to buy, treat them to whatever they want. Why? Because you just killed their mother. Like, and Detective Maxwell's like, dude, get home. They can eat at the house. Half a, half a hot dog when they get here. At oh, the house. Um, Maxwell states that he got the vibe Josh didn't care and reiterated the fact that he and the boys need to get home now. They still did not show up until an hour later. So this was about three hours after getting the call from the neighbor. So he's just roaming around for three hours. Yeah. Not wanting time. to face the reality. <laughs> Not coming home. Ugh. Um, Even though he knows his wife is missing. Yeah. Before arriving home, though, after, I, I do believe this is after he got a phone with Detective Maxwell, possibly. Mm-hmm. He drove 20 minutes in the opposite direction to call Susan. Uh-huh. Leave a voicemail on her phone saying that he hoped she got to work okay. This is after the neighbor called him and told him Susan was missing. So, this might be before Detective Maxwell called him. Yeah. But he, this was still after 3 p.m. when the the neighbor was like, Susan's not here. Get home now. So, he turns around in the the opposite direction, drives 20 minutes, picks up the phone, calls Susan, leaves a voicemail saying, hope you made it to work all right. Um, Can't wait to see you when you get home. Blah, 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 blah. And this is after his sister... Um, said busted him lying and said Susan wasn't at work. Right? Didn't the sister say? I don't know if this is before her conversation or not. Well, it's obvious he's trying to establish some sort of alibi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like wait, a- wait, 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 wait. Mm. Before returning home, he drives to Susan's work, calls her again, and leaves a voicemail telling her that he was there to pick her up. Oh, that's right. She couldn't have the car. I guess she walked in the winter storm to work or biked. No, because Jennifer already told him right, that, that she was not at, work. not at work. Like, how stupid do you get it through right. your thick freaking skull? She's not missing. This right. is after the fact you've received at least one out of the three phone calls. Just ugh. blows my mind. Yeah. Like, blows my mind. <laughs> this guy is a piece of work. And he's obviously pretty stupid. He he thinks he's smart. That's the thing. Like he well, thinks he's intelligent. Like uh-huh. He thinks, okay, if I drive in this direction, they uh-huh. can ping my phone uh-huh. to where I was at when I made this. And I've seen him like a a concerned husband. I haven't heard from you all day, babe. I hope you made it to work all right. Ah, uh-huh. even though you can't even go pick. I really hope he's in jail. Uh. Okay, I gotta know. So let's. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. 
When Josh finally pulled up at the house with the boys, Maxwell met him on the passenger side of the vehicle. He asked Josh, where have you been and why did you not answer anyone's calls? He said he took the boys out to go camping around midnight. His five, oh no, they weren't five and seven. How old were they? They were two one and four. Them, that's what I thought. One of them was little. Two and four years old. You go, that's like, okay. What? Yeah. You get your two and four year old out of bed at midnight to go take them camping in the middle of a winter storm. Yeah, buddy. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. On a Sunday night. That doesn't even uh, make sense. No. That is literally the dumbest excuse I've ever heard in my entire life. Right. He then uh. said that he had his phone off to preserve the battery because he didn't have a charger. In that moment, Maxwell noticed his phone was charging on the console of the vehicle uh -huh. while they talked. Oh, my God. How stupid can you be? You've got to get better at lying if you're going to come up with all these elaborate well, um, stories. Right. I have a feeling his stories probably change. Oh, oh my gosh. You just wait. Yeah. It gets real, real, real wild. This is when Maxwell told him to drive to the police station so he could question him further. At the station, Josh said that he left the house around 1.30 to 2 a.m., took the boys to go camping on the Pony Express. He claimed he left Susan asleep in the house. He also claimed he and the boys got trapped in the snowstorm, so that's why they were so late coming back home. Trapped in their in a tent, or did they camp in the van? Like uh... I think they might have camped in the van. Yeah. And by camp, I mean, that's loose. That's okay. a very loose term, because right. they obviously yeah. were not camping. Were not. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Um... He states Susan wanted him to clean the couch at about 10 p.m. that night before, so he did clean it because she asked him to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sounds, seems likely. And then told the detective more about the camping trip, saying the boys wanted to go make s'more, so they went about 20 miles down the Pony Express in below freezing weather to camp. Yeah. Uh -huh. Below freezing. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's... In the middle of this talk, Josh says he simply does not know where she is and then asks if he can leave. <laughs> can I go now? Like, after giving you these... <laughs> they set up a formal interview with him for the following day and Josh does leave. The next day, Terry and Jennifer went over to the house and Josh was cleaning the house and his vehicle. Again, like I said, very strange for someone who never does this. Right. Like, you can't just never pick up, like, bleach to clean right. and then expect people to be oh, like, ah, oh, such a good husband, cleaning the house and his vehicle. Right. Like, her friends don't already know and randomly asking him to clean the couch at 10 p.m.? Like, I don't think so. I'm either. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. When they arrived at the house, Josh was supposed to be getting ready to leave. I think they must have been coming over there to watch the boys or something. Yep. Um, so Jennifer told him he needed to get to the interview, and he just brushed her off. He was four hours late to the police department. Uh. In this interview that he finally shows up to... right. Maxwell pointed out to Josh that it was very strange for him to call her and leave the voicemails when he had her phone in the van. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they found her phone. In the, in van. the van. After he tried to play this little... Yeah. Game. Uh-huh. You know. Oh. Um, 
So Josh's response was he didn't know that it was in there. And when Maxwell asked if she had any enemies or was suicidal, he immediately said she was depressed. Even though that there was nobody else to back that claim up, he jumped on that real fast. Oh, yeah. Um, Josh started out emotional and sad, but his demeanor quickly changed and seemed uninterested, saying that he hadn't had much of a chance to look for Susan. Because you're off riding around right. making random phone calls to her phone that you know. It's in car with you. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Um, Josh stands up to leave and says to go ahead and ask one last question. So, Detective Maxwell says, how am I going to find your wife without your help? Mm. They did also interview Charlie, and this is kind of sad. Is that one of the kids? Yeah, it's the oldest little boy who was four at the time. Charlie says that he, mommy, daddy, and brother went camping, but mommy didn't come back. And and I just got chills. Like, I just got chills. Um, Charlie says they went to Dinosaur National Park and went to an airplane. Um, You know, kids kind of can tell stories here and there. But, like, some people speculate this is a different... um, trip that the family had taken right but to me saying mommy didn't come back mm-hmm. i don't That's know a, yeah um oh, charlie okay. says that his mom stayed at the dinosaur national park where the crystals were like i said he was four years old at the time um weeks later that after she had disappeared charlie stated to a teacher that she was dead oh <gasps> yeah Oh, oh, yeah. They probably rode with her body. That's so horrible. And this just reminds me of the Chris and Shannon Watts case. He, and this was very current. Like, we'll definitely. I've heard, I've heard. We'll definitely cover this case. But basically, Chris kills Shannon, takes his two little girls. They drive. <gasps> yes, mm-hmm. I know which one you're talking about. I watched. That is. Oh, that's what this reminds me of. Yeah. Oh. Uh, anyways, um, during this interview though with Charlie, like the first interview and like Josh's interview and all that, they were searching Josh's vehicle and they did put a tracker on the van. Nice. When the interview was over though, Maxwell told Josh, you know, go just hang out in the lobby, whatever, just chill for a minute we're finishing up and we'll have your car ready in just like maybe 15 minutes Mm -hmm. well instead of listening to detective maxwell he got a taxi headed to the airport and rented a car after this rental josh was mia for like 20 hours and put over 800 miles on a rental car oh wow that's a lot of driving 800 miles and you're missing for like a day basically no one can account for where Josh was at that time or Steve. Well, I can probably speculate. He's going to make sure that the body's hidden well enough or moving it. it or moving it. Yeah. And Steve's missing too. Who's st- his father? Mm-hmm. Ugh. What a horrible pair. What about the torch? I don't think that ever gets brought up again. I wonder though. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. This is when they realize, the police realize how close Josh and Steve were. So they pull Steve into an interview. And this is when they found out, like, he had feelings for Susan and that. 
He told the police he had feelings for Susie. He says that she craved his attention. Stop it. Come on now. Delusional. Right. Delusional. Uh -uh. No. Delusional. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Come on, Chief. Um, December 9th, also, it was reported that police had found Susan's blood on the carpet. And by the 14th of that month, Josh was officially considered a person of interest in the Susan Powell disappearance. Let's just go ahead and call him a suspect, people. Obviously. Right. Like, what else would have happened to her? The next day, Josh failed to show up to a scheduled another scheduled interview with the police. And police tell the media he's standing in their way at finding his wife. So, the police are fed up, obviously. And this right. is like... What it's are you doing? Got to the point where we're not playing with this guy anymore. Yeah, like, like we know what happened. Just tell us. I remember. I remember this. Like, I remember news stories. Yeah. Um, and reading articles when as this was happening, and yeah, super obvious. Well, and the thing is, in two thousand nine is also when Kaylee Anthony. Oh, that's right. So there was a lot going on this yep. year. Um. At the end of December of 2009, Josh takes the boys to Steve's for the holidays, but by January 6th of 2010, he and his brother Michael were packing up their house in Utah. Mm -hmm. So, Josh and the boys were moving in with Steve. The day before, Michael had called and gotten a high-resolution picture of a wrecking yard in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And on the way, leaving Josh's to go back to Puyallup, Michael and Alina... I put this in quotation marks because I'm not sure if they really did, but, like, quote-unquote broke down. Uh -huh. And instead of being normal, you know, and right. getting your car fixed, they had taken it to this wrecking place because he thought they were going to destroy it immediately. Uh-huh. When police caught wind of this, though, they sent canines to the wrecking site, and they immediately signaled towards the trunk of Michael's car. Uh. But results came back inconclusive. I know! I get some hard evidence to... Pin this guy. Yeah. With police getting nowhere and Josh holed up at Steve's, Jennifer offers to go wired into the house and tried to force a confession. Oh, this I, is his sister. Mm -hmm, you go, mm -hmm. girl. So this was at like a birthday get together for Charlie. Uh -huh. And after supper, she cornered Josh into like a study room or like a bathroom or something, like trying to get like yeah, isolate him yep. from the rest of the family, but like try and get out right a confession. She kept prying him and telling him to go ahead and admit now, but he was adamant that he didn't do anything and he wouldn't go against his lawyer's advice. Uh -uh. And when Steve found out he was so pissed off, cussing at her, yelling, he's yelling at her for trying to get her brother to admit something he didn't do. And Alina chimes in saying, Susan is a lying bitch. So Jennifer leaves. Uh -uh. That was her, like, her words. That Susan was a lying bitch. Uh -huh. Yeah. So at this point, all, like, all of... Josh, John, Michael, Alina are all living with Steve. Jennifer is the only one out of all of the Powell children that... Right. Doesn't live with... And is like... Knows what's going on. That's right. Like, not some yep. blind... Yeah, brainwashed... Just following the father. Yeah. Ooh. 
February 15th, the Cox family holds a press conference where they reveal Josh's controlling behavior and they announce that they are going to start the Susan Cox Powell Foundation. On the one-year anniversary of Susan's disappearance, though, Steve and Josh's plan was to paint Susan as a promiscuous woman and and try to get people to believe that she liked Steve's advances towards her. So, Steve would go on to say that she had an affair with another journalist, Stephen Kosher, who happened to disappear around the same time. And, yeah, and saying, like, okay, so she ran off with this journalist that was missing, like, a month before she went missing. They're in Brazil or somewhere south living together. Mm -hmm. Even though in the note that was hidden from Josh in her safe deposit box, she said, I would never, in all caps, leave my boys. Right. Well, we know that because he wouldn't feed them. Like, oh, I don't know. Right. Oh. In 2011, Steve and Josh threatened to release Susan's diaries from her teenage years, uh-uh. but then refused to. So they threatened to do it, but then like, taxi backsie, just kidding, we're not doing it. Psych. <laughs> Police organize a honking wave to try and draw Josh out of hiding, so like a honking wave is like yeah okay that's interesting yeah I mean it's it sounds fun but yeah it's a weird weird way of putting it but like people will basically stand on like a really busy like road holding up signs like Susan like they were showing her picture saying when she disappeared all that right. stuff um tr- and it was near Steve's house um, so this was huh. to get the attention of Josh nice. Because at this time, he was still, like, at Steve's hiding. I think he was in right. hiding for, like, 18 months after her disappearance. And who, does, are the kids there with him? Yes. Oh, yes. No. So this, uh, his dad gets to influence now another Just wait. Oh, it's, it's horrible. Steve and Josh both show up with the boys at this honking wave. And this is being, like, broadcasted on the news. Right. Steve starts, like, yelling at Chuck, saying that he couldn't do this honking wave because it was where he shot, like, where Steve shopped at. You're near my house. You need to get off this corner. You need to go somewhere else. Uh Yeah. And he was completely irate on TV. So, all these these people are seeing this. Um, Josh tells the media that Chuck only uses his sons, Charlie and Brayden, as pawns in the media to drive whatever narrative he wanted to. After this 18 months, after 18 months of her disappearance, he finally agrees to do an interview with the ABC News. This is Josh. Right. During this interview, he claims to still love Susan, but the interview said, the interviewer said that he seemed distant, withdrawn, and had a very strange, empty stare. On the other hand, though, Steve was very eager to do an interview, like, begging, basically, like, I'll give an interview. I can tell you everything. Yeah, sure. And this is where he also will further his claims about the sexual things that were between between him and Susan. Wildly inappropriate. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're talking about being with your daughter-in-law. Um, so insulting to her. Exactly. Aww. He said, quote, I shared father-in-law, daughter-in-law flirting, and maybe some sexual touching or whatever, and I enjoyed it, frankly, end quote. First and freaking foremost, I don't think there's any father-in-law, daughter-in-law flirting. I don't know about you. No. uh, Don't know about you. Absolutely not. That is not a thing in, I don't know, the real world. Don't know any daughter-in-laws flirting with their father-in-laws. No. 
No freaking but, thank and you. And then he, he's got to throw in sexual touching. Like the time where he rubbed her shoulders and then, I don't, oh, this guy. If I had a father-in-law, I would not touch him with a 10-foot pole. No. No. Yikes. It's odd and off It's just, yeah. Oh. And the fact that he went on television and said this. And, and he's like smiling. Like he's, he's so happy to be telling everybody this. He's into it. Yeah. He's, he's getting off on it. Ugh. Freaky. I hate this guy. That's a strong word, but I hate both of them. They're horrible. And people. I want to say, oh, oh man, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but I really want to say that um, Steve wrote a song about Susan. Stop it. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I do think there is like a song about her, but I can't remember who wrote it. I do think it was Steve. It was really freaky. Yeah. Ugh. Later that month, though, they searched empty mines and deserts around like the Pony Express, like where uh-huh. Josh claims he was at. Uh huh. Since he announced that a mine would be a good place to hide a body. Exactly. Uh-huh. And I do think they tried to search around like the dinosaur national park or like something like where dinosaurs were at i can't remember the exact um right. like words or whatever but like mm-hmm. where charlie said that his mom was left no. and they never found anything um because he went back and moved the body uh yeah okay. where he was missing for 20 uh-huh. 20 hours 800 miles yeah just a few days after these unsuccessful searches in the mines they got a warrant to search the Powell home nice and I'm about to drop my freaking mic, okay? okay, okay. Um, they took bags, boxes, and computers from the home. This is when they found all of the videos Steve made of Susan. Some where she was unaware he was recording, recording and others that she didn't know. But there was times where she didn't know oh he was recording gosh. her. Creep. They also found, hold on to your freaking pants, bro. In a bag, multiple bags, they found Susan's underwear, bras, cotton swabs she had used. Stop it. Feminine hygiene products, toenail clippings, and over 5,000 pictures of Susan where some Steve photoshopped himself into the picture. Wow. Way to take it to the next level, Steve. Oh, toenail clippings? (laughs) tampons or pads or whatever the woman used are you crazy this guy's a sicko yikes freaky so he's digging through the trash like he's creeping outside the bathroom like oh she's clipping her toenails in there i mean he's doing whatever he can to get like things from her what i can't wrap my they also found other videos of women and underage girls who did not know they were being filmed no he was recording an eight and a ten year old explicitly. That was like a neighbor of his. This is when he gets arrested for child porn and voyeurism, which I didn't know what that was, right. but it's the practice of gaining sexual pleasure from watching others when they are naked or engaged in sexual activity. So basically, he was like, How was he videoing these neighbor children? I think, I, I mean, I guess they just, like, you know, when you're kids, like, you don't think about closing the blinds and stuff if you're changing right, your shirt or something. Right. And so, he was just getting off on watching no. these 18-year-olds, like, change clothes that's or, like, so get out of the bath and stuff. Well, good. So, he went to, at least to the police station. He gets arrested for it. Yeah. And thank Jesus. I do think they screwed up, but thank Jesus they got the boys into protective services. 
When they were being taken away, Josh didn't even give the boys a hug bye. He just kind of was like, all right. Holler. See you. See you later. Susan's parents get temporary custody of the boys. Temporary. They say that their behavior was of those that were not disciplined. Like, they could tell the kids were not disciplined very well. But Josh would be given the chance to get them back if he moved out of Steve's house. So Josh would rent a house to appear that he had moved out of Steve's to appease the court. And he finally started getting weekly supervised visitation with the boys. Mm-hmm. The day, like a few days before the custody hearing, Josh and his family created a website that stated Susan's parents were abusing Brayden and Charlie. Yeah. And the West Valley City Police had mishandled Susan's disappearance. Mm-hmm. And that they were harassing Josh. Yeah. Thankfully, it was shut down. Nice. Around this same time, police find hundreds of images on Josh's computer that include incest, bestiality, and simulated child porn. So. Um, apparently, though, that the the pornography had been cached, 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 cached. I think so. Is it spelled C A C A G D? Yeah. Cached. Okay, so the pornography had been cached. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, um when viewed by the previous owners of the computer. So they found out it wasn't Josh who was searching all these, but the authorities did accuse Josh of this in court to okay. kind of make paint him as the bad guy he is. Right. Like he really Exactly. He is Steve's son, <laughs> right? Right. So <laughs> a state judge ruled that seven year old Charlie and five year old Brayden would remain with Chuck and Judy Cox and also ordered Josh Powell to get a psychosexual eval by a court appointed examiner. Mm-hmm. It's found that Josh has narcissistic personality traits, obviously. Right. Anybody could tell you that. Mm-hmm. Shown by his inability to admit even small personal shortcomings or weaknesses. Ugh. Like he thinks he's perfect. Ugh. The examiner also finds that Josh has adequate parenting skills, which I don't think is true. No. Steady employment, which is also not true. Right. And no criminal record. So the examiner decides to recommend that Josh has supervised visitations with his son several times a week. This was on February 1st of 2012. Mm-hmm. Now, before I get into this horrible, horrible day, um, Josh was having visits with them at like a center, mm-hmm. but he yeah. made the parents uncomfortable, so they had to go somewhere else. Right. So they agree or think it's a good idea for them to have visits with the boys at Josh's home. Mm-hmm. So... February 5th, 2012. Trigger warning. This is horrible. And probably one of the saddest parts of this case. No. Josh was scheduled to have a supervised visit with the boys at his rental home. Right. Once the boys were inside, Josh slams the door in the social worker's face and locks her out of the house. When he shuts the door, she gets a whiff of gasoline and instantly calls the police. The dispatcher, though, was not concerned at first and said he didn't see this as a life-threatening situation at all. But she was literally hearing the boys scream and cry and then watch the house burst into flames. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He killed himself and the boys. What? Yeah. 
The autopsy God. later showed that Josh tried to kill them with a hatchet before they ultimately died of smoke inhalation. Oh my gosh. Tried to like, like they have like marks on the back of their necks. Aww. Like, baby. How? How? Why? The system failed those children. They should have never been no. able to go into his home. And that was, yeah. No. Can you imagine that social worker and, and what she deals with every day of her life? Yeah. That happened? Oh, she probably gosh. quit. Yeah. Um, when Steve was notified while he was in prison, and so when he was notified of this incident, he seemed unbothered and got angry at the officers who told him. He would then go to plead the fifth regarding Susan's disappearance. Charlie and Brayden are buried at the Woodbine Cemetery, which also contains a memorial for their mother. Josh's remains were cremated. A mine explore, explorer says a mine 30 miles west of where Josh Powell claimed he went camping the night Susan disappeared had been filled up with gasoline and burned. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, on February 11th, 2013, uh, almost, what is this, one year after Josh kills himself and the boys, Michael, his younger brother, jo- jumps off of a parking garage roof in Minneapolis. Oh my. So he kills himself by jumping off a parking garage wow. roof um, where he attended graduate school. Wow. Um, and on May 21st of 2013, the West Valley City Police closed the active investigation into Susan's disappearance. Um. March of 2015, though, Chuck Cox won a protracted court battle with Terry and Alina Powell over control of Susan's estate. Terry and Alina had sought to have Susan declared legally dead to collect the life insurance policy, Uh -uh. but Chuck ultimately gained full control of the estate. Steve was released from prison, though, on July 11th, 2017, after serving a total of seven years, but almost a year after... A year and a month after his release, on July 23rd, 2018, he dies at a Tacoma, Washington hospital. So, Steve's dead. Josh is dead. Michael is dead. Um, The sheriff's office was aware that Steve was in the hospital, but he was told he was recovering. So, I don't think he ever went to try and... Hopefully, Steve died pretty painfully. Do we know what he died? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Susan remains a missing person, but given the fate of her son, um, it's obviously believed that she was murdered by Josh. Um, there were calls as of March 2018 to have her declared dead with the cause being homicide. So that's the sad end to the Susan Powell disappearance. Um, yeah, it's horrible. Nauseous, like I'm just. You imagine he killed those children too. I mean, you know he killed her, but now we're never gonna know. Oh, well, that's what I'm thinking. Like Michael's dead. He killed himself, I guess, out of a guilty conscience. Mm-hmm. Steve or, died. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, Josh killed himself. Like, there's nobody there that could really tell you what happened. No. And they all did it so because they knew it was closing in. Like they knew the police were getting closer and closer yep. and closer. Yep. And with that mind just being completely burned. Like, close to where Josh said he was. So, um, with the end of this, though, I would like to say something about domestic violence. Um, Like, obviously, not everything starts by physical abuse. Um, 
Josh started with controlling the finances, isolating Susan from her family, um, and making her dependent on him before eventually snapping, murdering her, and then murdering him and the two boys. And I feel like it doesn't start for it, for all you know victims. It doesn't start with hitting with physical violence. Well, it never does. They've things. got to charm you and pull you in. That's right. Um, and then. And the more and more you're with them, you're like, okay, they said this is the last time. So this is the last time. Right. But You not. have a foundation of love because they tricked you like whatever. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. So um, I'm going to try and put some like resources for domestic violence in the show notes. We will be posting some pictures of the family and Susan yeah. and the house and different things like that on the Instagram. So um, y'all go... Follow us on Instagram at Ill Natured Pod. We have a Facebook group now, which is almost at 200 um, group members, which is fun. So that's Ill Natured Podcast. Uh-huh. And then like the episode, you know, um, share it. Share it on all the different platforms Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just let all your friends know. That's right. I mean, so this was kind of a hard case to get through, but. And it's in the morning. It's not that early, but so y'all forgive me because, uh, um, oh, it's after lunch. <laughs> it's twelve thirty. <laughs> it's Saturday, okay. So yeah, but that was heavy. That um, my heart is just in pieces. I know. Um, that's so that's why I told you it was not a good ending. Like Ooh. Steve's dead. Thank God. Josh is dead. Thank God. Michael's right. dead. Thank God. But we still have no more answers about Susan and, and the, the boys. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Well, we'll let you go now. So, hope you enjoyed, well, like I said, I don't know if you really enjoyed the episode, but learned something um, and enjoyed our presentation of the case. In awareness, you know, things like this happen and we need to know and women need to be able to pick out the warning signs like so many red flags. Oh, yeah. Going back to his childhood. I mean, you just need to. I don't know. Y'all just need to be careful and be smart. That's right. Not saying that Susan wasn't smart, but like Love is blind, so please do not. You can find somebody that loves you and treats you well. Yep, and ask for help. Yes, uh, say something. I feel like you know, there's. Just, I feel like there's a lot of shame, and people are embarrassed. Like I've let this happen to me, but you know, tell somebody. Yeah, like they'd rather hear about all these things than find out that you're missing or dead. Right. So for sure. But that was very good, Alyssa. That was lots of good information. Thank you. A lot of stuff I didn't know. I had forgotten about the boys. And so, you know. You know. Well, we will catch y'all next week. And tune in. What are we listening to next week? What's your case? Brittany? Brittany Drexel. The Disappearance of Brittany Drexel. So that is Mm -hmm. next week. Tune in. We always post on Tuesdays. Tuesdays. All righty. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.